With lockdown two here, our sponsors Bison Beer have you covered. Their lock-in box contains a selection of 12 brews from Sussex to help you hunker down and stay safe. Free same-day delivery in the local area is available all week, so head to bisonbeer.co.uk to stock up. This is Football, the Albion and me with Richard Newman. Hello, welcome to Football, the Albion and me. I'm Richard Newman. This is episode 27 and 5 of series 2. And this is the podcast which chats to Brighton and Hove Albion favourites, talks to them about their all-round careers, not just on the South Coast, and gets to know them a little bit better off the pitch too. My guest this week is Lloyd Owusu, who in just a short time at the club in 2009 helped pull off the great escape under the management of Russell Slade. In this interview, recorded in November 2020, we talked about Lloyd's route into the game and his instant impact at Brentford where he's a club legend and discussed how Albion managed to avoid relegation from League One having looked doomed for the drop. Enjoy. Follow Football the Albion and me on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Lloyd thanks so much for coming on the podcast really looking forward to talking through your career and we've never really properly got stuck into the great escape on the podcast before so looking forward to talking about that a bit later on. First though I'm going to come back to talk about it a little bit in detail later but what, what are you up to now yeah well I'm, I'm here in a sunny Sydney Australia I've been here for about just under, just under 10 years now so uh, obviously luckily for myself I'm still involved with football I'm working at one of the most prestigious schools in in Australia called Cranbrook where I'm uh, the first 11 head coach and also the GDM which is the general duties master where I'm in charge of all the schools discipline with all the boys I'm sort of like that middle man really where because I'm not a teacher uh, I'm sort of like a mentor to the boys, so I, it's, I feel like I, it's all about building relationships with the boys and being an ex-footballer as well, it's very sort of new, it's very fresh and sort of, not, I don't mean new, but I sort of already know how that perspe- perception of dealing with people, especially boys, especially being in that environment all the time with guys and, and everything, so it's a great role that, I'm, that I've got at the school and uh, one I probably enjoy. Oh, we'll talk a bit more about that a little bit later on. Let's get stuck into the pod, though. In, in every episode, we go right back to the beginning. So what was life like for you growing up? Oh, man, life for Lloyd Arusu. Well, <laughs> uh, I can obviously, like many people probably know, a very sporting background in regards of my family, especially my sister as well, being an international runner. Uh, but as a, as a kid, I was never really one who would say, uh, it's actually weird because football, football was probably never my first ever love. To be fair, I always loved, always liked football, but never really thought about really, really playing it really at, at a serious level. When I was young, I was uh, predominantly doing athletics when I was younger, uh, 100 metres and, and 200 metres running for Windsor, Slough Eton and going to county representative competitions and nationals. So uh, until the age of about 10, 11, then I sort of started to play a bit of social football with some friends. And then when I probably got 12, 13, probably got a bit more serious and... Uh, football just started to have a love for it and then uh yeah just said to myself hopefully one day I could possibly become a professional footballer and uh, ever since then I've never looked back yeah so so was football quite a big thing for you for your family growing up it was never really a real major thing in a household you know we'd always watch football games don't get me wrong but it was never something that it was a real family thing so uh, I think it was just myself and I guess that some of the guys that I grew up with around my local way in Slough sort of got me into football really Mm. So, who's you grow up supporting? Uh, Liverpool, funny enough. Even though being from down south, uh, my cousin Ernest, for some reason, got me supporting Liverpool. Uh, I think it was the, the eras of the John Barnes and Peter Beansleys of, of them eras, you know. That's when I started supporting Liverpool, I think, because I just loved the way they played. And just, yeah, my cousin Ernest got me into them, really. Yeah. Um, so, can you remember the first, might not, might not be Liverpool, but can you remember the first ever sort of football match that you went to? No, well, I never, because again, obviously went to a few non-league games back in the days when Slough Town and everything, but mm. actual professional game, I think my, one I can really recall was, I think it was, I think I went to England, Brazil. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was probably, probably about 1995, you know, one of the first proper real professional games I went to. I remember Jamie Redknapp playing, because I remember him at halftime, he was doing some juggles and I always remember the way he'd done it, it was so beautiful inside of the foot <laughs> he was doing. I always remember that game I went to go and watch, but yeah, there was, I was never really one uh, to say I'll be going to a Premiership game back in the old Division, the old Division One back then, and, and going to watch games. But yeah, that was one of my real recalls of a, of a first real professional game. Mm. I guess did that sort of capture your imagination and think, yeah, I quite, I quite want to be a footballer. 
yeah, it, it did. You know, you, you, you sort of see the limelight of, of what, what players can have and achieve. And I guess, I, I guess in a way, I thought I probably wanted a piece of that. Uh, never thought whether it definitely happened because, like, like you know, it's it's not uh, very easy. It's it's every boy schoolboy dream. Don't get me wrong, but at the end of the day, also it's hard work and determination, also a bit of luck as well. Yeah. So you concentrated on football eventually but you said obviously you you were doing a lot of athletics was there a point that um maybe athletics could have been the way you could have gone a bit like your sister yeah it could have been to be fair like I said I was when I was a kid I was I was rapid you know mm. used to win a lot of the, the county stuff and went on to some nationals uh but I think I think just the aura of football because obviously it was the number one the number one game in the world mm. I think just the aura of, of hopefully being a footballer one day had a bit a bit more spice than the being a, 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 an, an athlete, because at the end of the day, you've got to be, to be an athlete, you've got to be that, if you want to be the best, it's only can, can only be one best, like I, for, for example, like a Usain Bolt, how rare is that going to be, you know? So uh, yeah, football just started to come to the forefront and uh, yeah, loved it from there. Yeah. Do you ever wonder what you would have been if you weren't a footballer? I probably would have still hope. like I said, I always thought, I probably would have been involved in football at some stage, would have been the coaching side to be fair. Because even when I was playing non-league football, I was I was doing my coaching badges, and uh, I always used to just love coaching. I guess because I love football, so I just love coaching. So I think I would have been definitely that field would have taken me still doing uh, that involvement in football. So when did you start to take it a bit more seriously then? And, and were you were you always a, a striker? No, as <laughs> like I said, when I was about 13, 14, I started off. I was because I was fast. They automatically sort of put Lloyd up front because you're just quick and fast. <laughs> But I started playing a couple of games actually in goal. Had a few okay. games in goal early doors, and then I was a centre back. I was a centre half, and uh, I made one year my, my manager Terry Kelly. Uh, we were played a team. I think I was playing for Crusaders team, local team called Crusaders. We were playing a team called uh, we were playing uh, Mar- Marlow or someone like that. And I made a run all the way from the defence, took on the whole team, <laughs> and then I got to the edge. Of the, I got to the box and I hit the side netting, even though I didn't score. Terry just turned around and said, no, there's no way you're a defender. You're going to be playing up front. And ever since then, they just used to put me straight down the middle and, um, yeah, I scored loads and loads of goals as a kid. Yeah, good to get the glory as well. When did you, is that, was, that, is that the point you started to realise that you were a little bit better than some of the people that you were playing with? Again, you say, again, I wouldn't, not even that, because the guys that I was actually playing with, they were some really good players. We had a guy called Dean White in my era. He, uh, he was an uh, England schoolboy. He was at QPR. For two, he was a school, uh, well, yeah. So he was a apprentice at QPR, in, England schoolboy as well the, at Liddershaw. He was a top, top player in my team when we were kids at Crusaders, and I was technically nowhere near like these guys. I, was, I guess I just had a, a real raw pace, uh, but these, there was a lot of guys who were much probably more superior technically ability than me. But I guess when it got later on down the track, I thought maybe because I wasn't as technical and and as gifted as these boys, it was going to be down to more to the hard work and determination where that's where I think I prevailed and most most didn't succeed. Mm-hmm. So you started your career, you know, at a, at a higher level um, at Slough, when you were at non-league Slough, but it took you, you actually entered the Football League quite quite late for a footballer, really, didn't you? Because you were in your early 20s at that point. Um, before you got to Brentford, though, whilst you were at Slough, were there any other clubs that you nearly joined? Um, no, uh, yes, yes, yes. To be fair, in regards, it was Walsall was the main one because when the situation, how I sort of left sort of Slough Town, considering I still had a two-year contract at Slough Town, but because the team was demoted from the conference into the, I think even into the Ishman League, because at that time the chairman refused to uh, change the plan of the stadium. He he thought it was it was up to st- uh, league standards, but they said if you don't change the seating, the team's going to get demoted. So a lot of us youngsters at the time, we were like, hold on, it's not fair that we should, we're taking the brunt of going down to lower leagues if if we've still got X amount of con- time on our contract. So Brian McDermott at the time, he let a few of the youngsters all go on trials or, and actually a few just actually actually went to some some clubs, higher divisions. Luckily for myself, I went to Walsall. Uh, so I, I had a month, it was a month, it was planned for a month uh, trial. And uh, two weeks into it, I received a phone call from uh, Brian McDermott. And he said, oh, Lloyd, where are you? And I said, I'm just on my way into training, uh, Gaffer. He says, uh, I've sold you. I said, what do you mean you sold me? He says, I've sold you to Brentford. I said, yeah. He said, yeah. So he goes, go into Ray Graydon, just say thank you for the opportunity. 
and then obviously come back down south and meet me because we have to obviously go and meet Brentford to go and talk the deal and, and get everything signed off. So I went in to see Ray Graydon and uh, Ray was, I mean, like I said, when I first going from non-league to uh, walks of the time, they were league one at the time. So it was a massive step for myself, but I, I didn't do too bad. Ray Graydon was like, oh, he goes, yeah, you're doing okay at the moment. We still want to see you for a bit more, but if you've got an opportunity, which is there and there, you've got to take it. So I appreciated the opportunity to train with him and, and the team at the time. And then he said, yeah, go and do your thing. So I came back down south, met Brian at my mum's house. Me and him drove to Heathrow Airport, uh, met Ron Nodes, may rest in peace, and uh, Ray Lewington and the rest of the Brentford boys because they were actually travelling to La Manga for pre-season training. So, uh, yeah, met Ron Nodes there. He, he said, uh, here's, here's a contract. And uh, at the time, I had an agent called Lan Rioki. And the deal never nearly happened in the end because... Uh, one knows offered me this contract three-year deal and I was buzzing. I mean, mm-hmm. coming from non-league to getting a, a professional contract with a club of Brentford stature who, who people knew that were going back on the rise. And Lanry, Lanry's turned up to, he's met us at the airport from, he had to come through uh, central London. He met us and he said, oh, we're not signing this. This this deal is derisory. My client deserves better. And I'm like, hold on, no way. I don't care what it is. I want to sign. <laughs> and he goes, no, you're not signing. I was like, no. So I, I called up Danny Bailey, who was my mentor, who was a, player as well with uh, Slough Town, he was a senior player and he was, uh, I called up Danny, I said, Dan, I said, look, this deal's on the table and one knows this, we don't sign it, he's taking it away. So Dan spoke to Larry and Larry said in the end, like, if the player wants to sign, he can sign. And I signed the, the paper then and ever since then, I never saw Larry ever, ever, ever again. So uh, right. yeah, the rest is, as they say, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you got to Brentford though, that's when you, I mean, you really hit the ground running and you, know, you became a a Brentford legend as well. Did you find that step? Did you find that step up quite easy? Yeah. You know what? It was one of them ones when I first signed. It was honestly when I signed for Brentford. I thought I'm signing for Brentford to 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 one just to be involved, in, obviously in the professional environment, but just to learn my graph, learn my trade, be in the reserves, play a couple of first team games, especially the first year. I thought that that was what it's going to be like. That's how I envisaged it. But luckily for myself, it was just. Royal of Rovers stuff. I ended up being a leading goal scorer in League Three, Division Three at the, at the time. Uh, won won the league championship, scored three hat tricks, played every single game, fifty six games uh, in that season. It was unbelievable. And I guess a lot of it was again down to sheer hard work and determination. Where when I was at Slough Town, I used to do extra training with Danny Bailey. Like I said, I used to, on a, after a game on a Saturday, I'd go up to Walthamstow with him and and do extra training because we always knew if opportunities come to become a professional, you have to be at that level as well. And even from there, I even continued, when I was at Brentford that same first year, after a game on a Saturday, I would go up to Walthamstow with Danny and train extra, doing extra shooting, practicing, swimming, fitness stuff to keep to keep in tick, tick-tock shape. And also then in pre-season, he would, me and him would go to Cyprus for warm weather training. So I knew because I hadn't had that base that all these guys have had in the, in the past, I had to get up to speed and just work on my technical ability and everything. And again, like you said, it, I ended up being a Brentford legend, which is true testament to obviously people like Danny Bailey in the past, Brian McDermott, who all guided me, my mum and dad, and some real good friends. So uh, I appreciate everything that, <clears throat> excuse me, that happened then. And uh, yeah, like I said, I've never really looked back. But before you joined Brentford, before you became that you know full-time professional footballer, when you were at Slough Town, what were you doing? Were you doing anything else like apart from playing football? Were you working part-time yes, somewhere but- else? Yeah, I was obviously at uh, I was at college studying leveling uh, level what was I doing GMVQ leisure and tourism. But at the same time, I was I was working at Slough Town with Brian McDermott as football and the community officer. Okay. So I was playing for Slough Town. Obviously, we train two nights a week, but in the day, I do a couple of hours at college. But then I was also go around the local schools in Slough uh, and Kindies and just do local coaching to the junior kids. And uh, again, like I said before. Coaching was always part part of me, so I think that was in my DNA to always probably do that if I didn't even end up being a, a professional footballer. Yeah, so you become this a full time professional footballer. Does it? Do you suddenly have this completely different way of life? Then you kind of do you start thinking, "Oh, really? You know, I'm living the dream now. I'm I'm a full time professional." Yeah, you do. You, you do live the dream, but for me, the way I've been raised and, and brought up and and with my surroundings and 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 my culture, you don't take things for granted. You know, you you have to make sure that you're still humble. You're still a respectful person, and that's one thing that never changed with me. Even when I turned professional, uh, I mean, to, to the outside people look at you, think, oh wow, now that's Lloyd Aruzzi, he's a professional. But when I see my old, any old people that I know from back, and I'm still the same old Lloydie from 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 way back. Everyone everyone just sees me as Lloydie. 
I, I don't I, I don't believe I ever changed. I was always the same humble guy, down to earth. Give give people my time, uh, and at the end of the day, for me, it's all about the fans. Because if it's not for the fans, us players, uh, we wouldn't be where we are now. So for me, it's all about them. Yeah, you had some great times at Brentford in that first spell before you made the step up to join um, Sheffield Wednesday, who were in the championship at the time, wasn't it? So was that a really good opportunity for you to get there? And you became a bit of an instant hero by scoring in a derby. Yeah, it, it was, you know, I mean, I had four fantastic years at Brentford. And uh, for me, I mean, I mean, I was, you, always, you always try and strive to become better and obviously play in higher division. And that was always my goal when I started to become real regular professional, you know, a seasoned pro, uh, as they say. So after my four years at Brentford, uh, we all, it, it came to a time when I can't, a lot of us, uh, we were going, we were actually going for the, we were actually going to try and get promoted to the championship at the time. We made it to the playoff finals against Stoke. Unfortunately, we, we lost that game. So there was many of the team we knew if we'd lost that game, the team was going to be dismantled. And that's what happened. But for myself, I had a lot of clubs because I had such a good season that last spell under Steve Koppel. Scoring twenty, I think scored twenty two, twenty three goals that year. Uh, I, I had about six or seven different championship clubs asking for my signature, so obviously I had to scout and look around, see who, see where I felt the real synergy with. And uh, spoke in the end, I ended up signing for Sheffield Wednesday, and uh, yeah, again there again word of over stuff when I signed <laughs> for them. Mm. And then you went to uh, Reading as well before you returned to Brentford back to where you were already a hero and then on to, to Yeovil where you worked with Russell Slade um, for the first time and on to Cheltenham before the loan move to Brighton. So when was the first time that you heard Albion were interested in you? Uh, so what happened was I was obviously at Cheltenham. Uh, they were going through some financial difficulties. So obviously me being one of the top earners at the club, uh, they were looking to obviously offload certain players just to obviously save the club and save the wage bill. Uh, so there was a couple of other clubs that were making inquiries and I think it was, I can't remember which, can't, to be fair, I can't remember now, it was, I must have been speaking to a, one of the players who was at Brighton and I said, they were saying, oh, we're, we're in, we need a striker and I think then from there, they, I got in contact with somebody and Dean White at the time gave me a call. He said, oh Lord, I believe that you might be available. I said, yeah, the club obviously are trying to save cut costs. He goes, oh, would you be keen to come to Brighton? I was like, yeah. I said, you know, at the end, I want to just go where I can go and play regular football. He goes, yeah. Look, we'll look, we'll we'll speak speak to the chairmen's and the club secretaries and see if we can get something across the line to come on loan originally. So, uh, in the end, uh, obviously that got done, and then uh, yeah, I headed down from Cheltenham down to Brighton, and uh, yeah, it was uh, another great part of my career. That I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. Yeah. So Brighton were in the relegation zone at one point. There were eight points from safety with only seven games left. Um, did you really want to join a club, though, that was in that sort of perilous position? You know what? And I don't want to sound like from a selfish point of view. For me, it was about myself trying to just go and get some games. Mm. If we'd got relegated, but I'd done well myself, you know, it sounds selfish, but I had to make sure that I could score goals to get that next move after sure. that. I just thought to myself, look, go to a club. They, they want me. And I always feel like if a club wants you, there's, there's like I said, there's that synergy and there's, there's something something special can happen. And like I said, they, because they wanted me, I went there. It was a, I just thought I'd go and get some games under my belt. And I remember the first game, we actually, my, when I came up, the first game we were playing Bristol City, or Bristol Rovers away. But when we got there, we, the game actually got called off that day. So uh, we had to come back down from Bristol and come back. And then, uh, then I think, then I think, then the gaffer had come in. Then the gaffer had just come in. Russell Slade had just come in. And then I think my first game mate, for him was Leighton Orient. I think we actually lost that game. Uh, so I was thinking eight points adrift. You know, I mean, we were thinking everyone, to be fair, I think everyone, everyone wrote us off. Mm. Everyone wrote us off. Even, even maybe the fans, to a certain extent, didn't think like, look, they thought it is what it is. We're going to struggle. They've been struggling all season. And all of a sudden, the gaffer sort of tweaked the team a bit. There was a, there was a, belief there was a team camaraderie which was unbelievable and then yeah we just hit the ground running and luckily for myself as well I just like banging goals for fun and it was just a, it was a brilliant moment brilliant couple of months yeah you are synonymous with the great escape along with Russell Slade coming in and scoring seven goals in 14 games I think it was um, which is quite some return for a team that's, that's struggling and um, but before but before that Point. Gary Dickers given an interview saying that when he arrived, it was um, I think he came after you 
maybe uh, yeah. yeah just a few maybe a few months after or a month after he he said it was a, when he got there it just felt like a real mess you know obviously things changed but it just felt it wasn't quite things weren't really working right it's lots of the atmosphere wasn't quite right clearly that all changed around but was that the case when when at that point was it was it the early days of russell slade was it a bit of a mess i wouldn't i mean i guess it's always that transition of new manager coming in so obviously certain players if they they were obviously under the old regimes of their thinking are we're not going to be playing if a new gaffer comes in so you always get people who just start stabbing in the backs etc but me personally i thought there was when i got there and when russell when the gaffer came in there was a real team bond note there was a real team one because we had a bit of youth we had a lot of experience and then we had a lot of uh quality as well around the club as well so I, for me i thought it was it was it was a great recipe and like the, obviously the recipe the, the recipe worked because <laughs> we ended we ended up staying up so uh, for me i think it was it, it, it was brilliant yeah you ended up coming in as well because um there was an injury to Nicky Forster, who you played with at, yeah. at, at Reading, and like you yeah. really did pick that up with those goals. Um, the the atmosphere in general, then what what changed? What was it about? What is it about Russell Slade, who I think we all know is a very good, um, he's a very good motivator, isn't he? Is that is that mm. his main quality? Yeah, I mean, get the gaffy. I wouldn't say he's he's a he's a great actual. Tact, technical tactical coach he's, he, he knows how to have his arm around players that he wants to to do well and obviously if you've got a manager who who shows love and care for you you, you do anything for him and I think that's what the gaffer did you know he just had a he just had an aura about him where he made players feel wanted and I think when you feel wanted as a, as a player you, like I said you do anything for him and that's what he did and uh, I guess players even you look at Gary Hart he was wasn't even in the wasn't even in the reckoning he was like Gaz was come one, came back from injury, and he wasn't even in, in the in the process of even playing. And Gaffer brought him in, and then put me and him up front together. Obviously, because like Nicky got injured, and then Glenn was injured as well. And then we just went on from strength to strength, and just yeah, just enjoyed a good partnership. And obviously with Coxie on the wings as well, and putting in great support supply the midfield. Tommy Fraser, the young Tommy at the time, uh, and all their boys and behind. The, I mean, Fergo, all the boys. We had a great, like I said, we had a great synergy with each other, and we just produced what we had to produce. Yeah, it's a pretty good team, really, wasn't it? If you actually look at the where those players are now, or what they went on to do, a lot of those players, like Tommy Alfick and uh, yeah. Glenn Murray, and and you know, it's just it's a yeah, pretty impressive. But Tommy Alfick said in an interview with the Athletic um, that Russell had a very different style where you'd sort of, you wouldn't talk much about tactics until about 20 minutes before the game. So you'd have a, you'd cut short a, a warm up, get back to the dressing room and have, and go through tactics and set pieces on the flip chart just before you went out. Is that, is that right? Yeah, the gaffer's always like that. He's one of them gaffers, yeah. Like I said, we'd go and do a warm up. Obviously we'd have, we'd have, we'd have, a, we'd have a session on the Friday and, and maybe have a little bit of structured play. But then he, the gaffer, was, he was very methodical with regards to set pieces, I must admit. And I thought that was I thought that was a, a, a strong a strong asset from him because it put it put that seed in your head before you're going out. You knew who, which man you were marking. You knew which run you were making. You knew where you had to stand. And I think he would do that. He had this flip chart. You like say he had to start at eleven, then he'll flip it. He'd have attacking set pieces, then he'll flip it. Defending set pieces, then he'll flip it. <laughs> and you were there. It was fresh in your mind, so no one had no excuses. So if you came at half time and your man had scored or whatever. You can you you can you can point the finger because he showed you before forty five minutes forty five minutes prior he showed you and he told you this is what we this is what I expect and I guess it was well because I think I don't think we've even conceded many goals from set pieces and we and we scored a few and we scored quite a few from him so for me it's it's it's, it's magic. Hmm. Did he instill a real belief in you then? Because he's known to he's known to give some very inspirational speeches. As you said, that that's probably you agreed that's probably one of his main qualities is that is that man management. Um and after a while, a win at Hereford started a run of five wins in seven with just one defeat hmm. at the end of the yeah. like going into the end of the season. So how much did that did, what, what was the what was the turning point? Do you think that you suddenly you, you as players thought, do you know what, we're not done and dusted here. We can definitely stay yeah. up. Yeah, for me, I think it was, it was a couple of games. It was the one I think it was the one away at Colchester when I scored, and it was one nil. Uh, yeah, one nil, and it was a it was one of them games going away from home. 
I mean, coaches are wearing a bad team as well. And we got the 1-0 victory. And then uh, we just thought, you know what? This is going to be it. And then also, we had to play catch-up because we still had that game when I first signed, the Bristol Rovers game. Mm. So we were still playing catch-up. So we were a game or two behind the other teams. So that game on that Tuesday night, we travelled down there. It was sort of a hit and it was a big six-pointer as well. We, we we knew if we could win this game, yeah, we, we, we can we can do the business. And I think then we won that game, didn't we? Two, I think it was 2-0 or 2-1 or something. So yeah, from there, we just knew, yeah, we, 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 we've got a massive chance of staying up now. Mm. How much does momentum play a part in those situations? I always, always. If, if, you're, if, you're, if you're playing well, firstly, individually as a player, and then you're playing well collectively as a team, and you're getting results, it's just second nature. It's just like anything, if you just feel confident, you're just going into a game feeling like, you know what, no matter, even if you're playing top team now, even though we're one of the bottom teams, we want to run off three or four games on the bounce. We, we feel confident. We don't, we don't fear no one. And, and that's what we did. And we were, and the boys, the great thing about the Brighton guys, I must admit, right, like, Everyone was not not horrible, but in regards, I don't mean horrible that way. I mean horrible in like horrible to win. They were they were, they were we had to win. They had that mentality. You're horrible to win if you see what I mean. And that's what I think made us succeed because no one, none of the boys were the kind of guys who just haven't. If they, if we lost, it was just like oh, they was go through the motions. Now nah, these guys, if we lost, it was well, the one or two games that we just you could tell the the hurt. The boys it hurt players. This is Football, the Albion and me with Richard Newman. If there's one thing this podcast misses most about not being able to cheer on the Albion at the Amex, it's not being able to pick up a pie at the same time from official supplier Piglet's Pantry. But fans can recreate that matchday experience with home delivery. And with Christmas around the corner, listeners to this podcast can benefit from 15% off their Christmas range for December pre-order and delivery only. Just visit piglet'spantry.co.uk and enter the code ALBIONXMAS. That's all one word, ALBIONXMAS, before the 1st of December at the checkout to get your discount. Follow Football, the Albion and me on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You've been described as Mr. Cool by, I think it's by Russell's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what was your sort of laid back atmosphere? Did that kind of help as well? Um, and who were the main, because I guess... I guess that kind of that might help with the, the sort of gravity of the situation. But who were also the main voices in the dressing room at that point that were really driving you all on? Yeah, again, I mean, me, me being me, obviously, when you're when you're sort of a new sort of guy, you come into a team, you sort of you don't try and because you're not part, you're not really, you're not a main player there in regards. You haven't, you're not on a full contract with that team. You just come in on loan, mm. so you're not really part of, you're not really part of that furniture. But I guess with me, the kind of guy I am, because I actually, because I played Brighton so many times in my career, with the Brentford connection against Brighton all the time, I sort of knew a lot of the boys anyway. So mm. being a bit older, I was a bit older, so I was more of a senior pro. You know what I mean? I, I feel like I had I had a voice when I went there. You had the likes of obviously Fozzie the Skip, Fozzie was experienced pro who, who who had a voice, even though he wasn't playing at the time as well. He but Fozzie was always around. Uh, even even people like Craig Davis, young Craig Davis, even though he was young, but he. I mean, he he would have he would he would have his say, Fergs all the time. Even Tommy Fraser again, like I said, even the young boys, would, everyone was together. There was a real togetherness with, with with that bunch. No, everyone respected each other, and and that was a great thing. I think again, that's what made us succeed because everyone respected each other. Because where you've been in the past, you've been to clubs, and you know, I mean, you have your little clicks here and there. But with Brighton, that my my time I was there anyway, there was no clicks, hmm. and I must admit there was no clicks in the club when I was there. You know, I mean, you had your senior boys, you had your senior boys, you had your junior boys, but you were still together, and that's what I think was the. the that's what I think made everything so so well. Yeah, you, you brought your raise the roof celebration to with Dean as well, and we were lucky enough to see plenty of it. And and you've been a, a fan's favourite wherever you played. You you give everything. Is that why you think you're so popular with supporters? Where the in the clubs? Yeah, and, yeah. Like I said to you before, Richard, for me, it's all about the fans. At the end of the day, if, if it wasn't for the fans, us players wouldn't be playing because they're the ones who pay our wages at the end of the day. So I, I respect every single club fan that I've played for because you work hard. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm not the most gifted in regards of the most gifted, skillful player. Obviously, I know I can score goals. I know what my job is to do wherever I go to score goals. But as a footballer and as a striker, and as a, from a, when, I flip the, when I flip it from a fan's perspective, even if a striker's not scoring goals, fans are like, you know, that you might get the fans, oh, well, he ain't good enough. But, Fans who see a striker who might not be scoring goals, but die hard for the club. 
and work. And that's what I think I did all my career. And I think that's why I've got such a great relationship with, with every club I've been at. No matter if I didn't score goals, there might have been games when I'm a run of five, six, seven, ten games. I remember even when, I think even when I was at uh, Cheltenham, again, I think I went on a run of 12, 13 games, hadn't scored, but still, I was working hard and, and the fans still appreciate that. Mm. So they appreciate someone who's not just there just to take the money and just go, go through the motions, but I just used to work hard. I guess because, again, I come from humble beginnings. I came from that non-league background. I came from that desire where I want to become a professional and the only way you can do that is to succeed is by doing good on the pitch. If you're not scoring, it doesn't matter. You just keep working hard. People love that. Mm. Um, the the game which ensured safety, the win over Stockport on the last day of the season, what were the pre-match nerves like? You know what? There wasn't none, I'll be honest with really? you now. Mm. Because I think we sort of already... Because I think even though... I think, I think mathematically, I think we were already sort of slightly safe. I think we might have been, if I'm not mistaken, because... Uh, we, I know, I know. If we won one, we were definitely up. But even I think, even if we had lost, I think I think we may have even stayed up in the end. But ever again, everyone was confident. We were because what did we win? I think we won that game three one in, in in the end. I think it was the last we confident. The last game yeah, was the, the last one. Game. The last game was the one 0 with Nicky Forster scoring off oh, the bench. Only one nil was it? Yeah, oh, it was only one nil. I thought I was thinking three one for some reason. <laughs> okay, so then one 0 that game. So yeah, I remember Fozzie scoring mm-hmm. and he just come off the NA and obviously he. He hadn't even been involved all season. Then he yeah. the last after he comes and does that. But that's typical for you know, and that's that's a great that's a great leader, you know. So uh, blessing for that. And again, yeah, we 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 were confident we were going to go into that game and win anyway. Yeah. What was the what were the celebrations like then when you when you stayed up? Yeah, remember the fans coming onto the pitch, lift up the gaffer, and uh, you know what? To be honest, though, to this day, I can't remember even what we did after. Whether, I don't even think we even like. I don't even think even if we went out or anything with the boys, but I think we were just happy in the change rooms and the club knew they had to be safe because look, and also it was massive for the club, just not just for the club to stay up, but because of what was going on on the background with the club, with the new stadium hmm. going through and, and everything. Because no disrespect, if they'd gone into if they'd gone into League Two at that time with the stadium being built for the following season and everything, I don't think it would have been a good look for the club as regards of legal to small small clientele of clubs that you're playing against in that kind of environment stadium. So I think that was the real turning point to where that 2009 year, the end of it anyway, to where mm. Brighton are to this day, I think that was a major impact. Yeah, major, well, that's it. That's major. it. Yeah. Do you, do you think Brighton would be where they are now if it hadn't been for that season? Yeah. I'll be honest with you now. I'm not, I, mean, I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I haven't got a crystal ball, but I don't honestly don't think they would have. If, if we had got relegated that year, it would have been tough for Brighton. It would have been, I reckon it would have been tough. They wouldn't be where they are now. Obviously, they've done so well over the last 10 years. Yes, don't get me wrong. Uh, but I don't, I personally don't think if that hadn't happened, they wouldn't be where they sort of really are now in, mm. in, in the Prem and bless them in the Prem. They're doing well. So good mm. luck to make it continue. Yeah. Was there a possibility for you to stay that summer? Yeah, I was gutted to be fair, Rich, because no disrespect. I said, for what I, for what I done and achieved at the club, and obviously, even though I was older, I always wanted that secu- a bit more security. So I, I made I made it I made it clear that I, I wanted a two, and not that no player can demand what they demand uh, something. You have to obviously earn it. But and I believe, but I actually believe I actually did earn mm. the the right to say, look, I want stability. I want two years. Uh, and I even off, I even offered I even said to the club, give me two years on less money. I was on I was on X amount. They offered me X amount on one year, and I said, look, I said I'll take two years or less. And they were like, no, 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 we ain't gonna offer you one. And I just want that, I just need that stability. And obviously the stuff, uh, there's a few clubs talking and then obviously Adelaide United and he offered me a two year deal, not a bad wicket. So I wanted to explore something else. But what I was a bit, what aggrieved me a bit is when obviously after I left and then that year, and then they signed, uh, was, it, was it Liam, is it Liam Dickinson, was it? Uh, I believe they signed him and the money I heard he was getting, <sighs> For someone who didn't know disrespect, he didn't even really do it. I was I was gutted. I was gutted because, like I said, I was offering way way less than what I heard he was on for his two or three year deal. And uh, yeah, I guess that's that's life. But I don't I don't regret nothing. I ended up I ended up going to Adelaide. Had a great life, and obviously I'm here now in Australia. Yeah. How do you look back at your brief time at Brighton? Generally, oh, massive, great memories, fantastic. One of my highlights of my career. Obviously, I've been. First turn professional footballer was a highlight. Uh, scoring a winning goal for Brentford in my first year to win the championship, keeping Brighton up to a certain extent with uh, 
with, with what I did there, playing at Luton in only a short spell of time, scoring X amount of goals as well. So that's definitely definitely my top four or five of my career highlights that for sure. Mm. And like I said, for me, the band's a top, top draw. Yeah, great. And after Brighton that you said you went to Adelaide United and that started your association with Australia. When you got there, because you did come back to... You did come back to England for a bit. You even played in Cyprus. You played there for a bit as well. But did you did you know that when you got to Australia, you you kind of wanted to return at some point? Yeah, I mean, uh, you mean return back to England? No, is in when you oh, got. Sorry. What was it? What was it about Australia when you were at Adelaide? Did you know you kind of you yeah. that when you because obviously you came back to England, but did you know you you'd want yeah. to come back to Australia? I didn't. I didn't ever think I would would want to come back automatically. I mean, when I was here, within the time I was here, I applied for residency to see if, if later on down the track, if I ever did want to come for lifestyle and, and livelihood. Mm. So I applied for that and luckily I've got that. So that always gave me a five-year window to decide whether I, I would come back to Australia. Because like I said, I was, at the time I was, I was coming, I was 34, 35. So I'm coming to the end of my career realistically. So you've got to look at the next chapter. So I came back to England, played a bit in, uh, I went to Barnet. Uh, so I signed at Luton. Then I went to a few other clubs for about 18 months. And then when I was there, I was looking around England, I was thinking, do I really need to be chasing a game for, for a couple of hundred pounds a week and chasing this and that? Thinking, you know what, I've got an opportunity to go to Australia, have a, a new lifestyle and give it a go. So, yeah, I ended up packing up bags and uh, mm-hmm. moving out here, come to play semi-professional football here at, 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 a, at a good level still. Again, involved in coaching in the private schools. And uh, ever since then, I've not looked not look back at all. Yeah. Before we just talk about a bit more about Australia, just um, quickly on, you, you played a few games for Ghana as well, playing international football. Must have been a huge honour for you, I'm sure. What was what were your experiences like of playing for Ghana? Yeah, luckily for myself, I managed to play for my motherland four times. Uh, I was playing at Reading at the time when I got my first call-up. And to be fair, I never thought I'd play, I mean, I never thought about playing international football. I never, back in them times, you never really, sort of really foresee Ghana because they, were, they weren't really a, a, a nation that was doing major things, you know. Obviously, you heard about this, a lot of disorganisation within the Ghana FA, so I never ever thought about it. But then I got a phone call from the club secretary at Reading, so they Ghana wanted to the call drop to come play in a friendly game in France against FC Lyon. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, travelled up there, played, and uh, yeah, it was, it was a great experience. And there was a time when a young Michael Essien was there and Suli Mutari, Stephen Apia, Asamoah Jan, some great, great, some great players. And uh, I remember it's so weird because we're doing a keep ball session, I remember. And, off, and I actually literally stopped in the middle of this session and just applauded because these guys were so technically gifted, just could not get the ball off them. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, then after that, I made a couple more appearances. And luck- unluckily for myself, when I was thriving for Brentford, the year of the 2006 Ghana's first ever World Cup campaign, uh, I was flying, played a friendly game a couple of months before the World Cup and I got injured with my groin. We had a friendly game in Germany and um, yeah, ruptured my groin and uh, yeah, unfortunately for me, I wasn't fit enough if selected for the World Cup, which I believe I would have gone. I mean, the coach even said to me, the way I was playing for Brentford, I was flying. I would have most likely been in the squad, but I still went to Germany, watched a couple of games, which was nice at the Garner FA. So uh, mm. that was my sort of bit of sweet in a way. Mm. Yeah. Um returning to what you're doing in Australia you're um you're coaching and work at a school um so have you found something that you have a real you said already you've always feel like you've got a bit of a you know got the coach in you but is this something you've got a real passion for yeah it has and for me again it's about building especially like being it's a boys school so obviously coaching the boys which I love coaching full stop but also being that mentor uh and and trying to give the boys a real sense of reality because the school I'm at is very prestigious. I mean, it's, it's the the wealth is beyond a joke that the the kids where they come from. So I just try and give the boys a sense of reality about how life is, how it's all about. Doesn't matter how much money you've got or anything. It's about being a respectful person. Mm. First and foremost, like even in my team, my, my players in my team, I've got some in or every every each year I do the first eleven. I've had some good players, but I, I tell them I don't care how good you are, where you come from, how much money your parents earn. If you're not a good, respectable person, you're not playing full stop. So mm. they all know that. And I've instilled a lot of that in the school. And I think the school is really appreciative of what, of what my skill sets coming from that professional footballing background mm. has brought to the school. And, 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 and they like and they love it. That's great. Um, what do you I get to? How many of the students are looking your old goals up on YouTube? Yeah, it was funny because uh, when I first joined the school, uh, so the, co- the, head, the head of football 
introduced me to uh, the under 16 team. He said, oh, no, we've got, an, we've got an under 16 team who are a very talented bunch, but they've never had no real guidance. <clears throat> so I remember the first session. So he introduced me to the boys on this Monday, on a Monday afternoon. He said, our oh, boys is going to be the, your new coach. Because apparently prior to them, every from when they were like under 15, under 14, they've all come through the same year group all the way up. And they've, all, they've had a different coach here, they're everywhere. But I guess it's just been a sort of generic coach, no real, no one with no real sort of like reputation, etc. So there's always there was these two boys, and they're top players to be fair, top players. But I think they were they're a bit of jack the lads. They thought, you know, the, the, so Ben's introducing me to the boys, and these two boys who were at the back of the they were at the back of the group. They weren't really paying attention to what Ben was introducing. Oh, this is Mister, this is Coach Lloyd. He's gonna be your new coach for the year. And these two boys are like, they, as if to say, like, who's this geese? We've had, we've had all these coaches, probably just another same old coach, same old coach. So that was that. The next session, where were these two boys who were at the back? These two boys who were at the back originally, <laughs> straight in the front. And I found out after from the captain, Jack, I found out from the, they'd gone home and obviously Googled me. And they realised, oh, this is serious. We've got a, this is a proper ex-professional. We've got a, yeah. so, and there was, they were, they were tremendous for me. They, they were brilliant. So, uh, they were good, so I had a real good, I had a real good, good team, and uh, we we did had a lot of success. So I was really good with that. Mm. So what is it about living in Australia that really suits you? Lifestyle, mate. It's all about the lifestyle, especially for my two. I got two little ones. My daughter just turned twelve yesterday, and and my boy's eight. So for me, it was about a lifestyle choice because when I was back in England, I was in living in Southeast London, Rotherhithe, and uh, I always remember I was in the kitchen and I looked out the window, and behind the apartment there was this, there was a park. And I saw these ghetto boys like smoking weed and 13, 40. I'm thinking to myself, I can't let my daughter live like this in England like that. So that's what that's what made the real that what made a real transition to come to Australia. And ever since I've been here, it's just just a great way of life. You've got the weather, it, it, it's safe, it's outgoing, friendly people. The only the only sort of downside, it's the other side of the world. But uh, yeah, you mean you miss your home comforts, but like what we get here for lifestyle choice is, is is second to none. Yeah, do you think you're set there for life now as well? Yeah, yeah. I just done my citizenship only, or just passed my citizenship now. So waiting for the main ceremony. So I'm actually a Noz, I'm actually a Aussie now. <laughs> uh, so I wait get, get the certificate and passport. But like I keep, I can, I can still keep my UK one, which is all good. So uh, yeah, they'll be calling me Aussie Lloyd now. <laughs> uh, what what do you make of the standard of professional football in Australia? Yeah, look, when I first came back in 2009, you, you had the Dutch influence, this so-called total football 4-3-3, and it still hasn't sort of really changed that. Australia's really, Australia philosophy and culture is really based on possession-based, which is, don't get me wrong, it's, which is good, but for me, you've got to have possession-based with a real purpose, and obviously purpose to, to go and score goals and win games. But here, it's very slow build-up, and everything's play from the back. And no disrespect, you you get these teams still when they're struggling, they're still trying to play from the back and then they just get, they just get broken down and get goals scored against them, but they, they'll still keep doing it. It's just like, no, it's not about that. So they're still, they're still quite far behind in terms of, of everything, but the, the, the new regime that's taken over the FFA and everything is, is getting better. So I'm very good players though, I must admit, a couple of young boys have even gone over to England now. One signed at uh, Brentford, uh, there's a couple signed at Brighton, mm. uh, so there, there, were, there were some good youngsters coming through. So just a matter of hopefully, if, if even if I can, with my skill sets, help one or two, hmm. I feel like I've done a job there. Yeah. Um, because of the time difference, how much do you get to see of English football? Uh, oh, still, I mean, like I said, depending on what time of the year it is. Uh, and obviously now, because obviously with the Premiership, no, it's obviously the, it's changed where when before COVID, it was all set at one time practically, but now obviously it's all broken down. You know, you have your two-hour blocks in each Premiership game practically nearly. We're normally like on a Saturday, obviously, because obviously you're debating you have a nine or eleven hours, depending on what time of the year behind us. Uh, so yeah, I would on a Saturday night if I'm not doing nothing, and it's and you got a, you got a mid and in England's got a twelve o'clock midday kickoff. I, I mean, I, and it's a nine o'clock here. I, I'll watch a game, mm -hmm. but to be fair, just the next morning I will just get on my Optus, just mm -hmm. flick on the Optus or the height, the latest highlights of the night before, and just just watch all the goals. But for me, always the first thing I always do that I wake up, BBC website, uh, Brentford, Brighton, uh, Yeovil, all my main teams. That's what I normally first do. Look at look at their mm -hmm. results and see how they all did, and then uh, yeah, then then watch the highlights of the Premiership games. Mm. What do you make of what Brighton are doing then in the limited amount that you may have seen? Yeah, 
they've done fantastic. You know, Potter's doing well with the club, obviously, even Hewton before the other managers, they've all done they've all done tremendous for Brighton. Uh uh, is Mr. Bloom still chairman? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know I mean, he's, he's, he's vision and his vision and philosophy is second to none. You know, he, he always had that vision of what he wanted to do with Brian. And again, that's already just with the stadium. Fantastic. Fair play to him. Uh, the club's going in the right direction. I hope they I hope they stay up again. Looks like they've got some good youngsters coming through. Uh, they're playing some nice football. Uh, again, it's still that's still that's, they're still going to be a bit of a development sell-on club as well, in a way, which I think it's, it's always going to be the case, you know, because obviously you see some players like, you know what I mean, they've, they've they've obviously got a few players in and then sold them on for big money, but uh, they, they, they'll be all right. I think they'll, they'll survive again. I think if they do, I think, what, would that be the fifth year in the Prem consecutive? Mm-hmm. So fair play to them. Hope they can maintain that and be a mid, they're always going to be a mid-table team and uh, yeah, good luck to them. Um, Brentford too, so close to promotion to the Premier League last season. New stadium too, um, two very similar owners actually, Tony Bloom and and, and Brentford as well. Um, yeah. are, are, are you hopeful they will eventually reach the top flight? Yeah, it was good. It's horrible to say. It's going to be. I don't. Last year was was going to be the best ever chance, realistic chance for them to have done it realistically. Mm-hmm. Now it's going to be a. It's just going to be that bit harder with obviously other quality teams coming. They, they've had an okay start to the to the championship. Uh, obviously, you lose, when you lose quality players like Ben Rama and Ollie Watkins, but they, again, I think they've 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 signed that Tony guy, that Tony Tony guy. It looks like he's banging in goals. To be fair, but it's going to be tough for them to see if they stay up again. But then my, one of my other teams is quite doing quite well. Reading mm. uh, are doing quite well in the championship. So hopefully, if any of them two teams can go up to the Premier, I'll be I'll be more than delighted. Mm. Um, right, Lloyd, in each podcast, we ask our guests to pick um, a five-a-side team from players that you played with throughout your career. So they can be from any yeah. club you played at. They could be, you could pick characters over ability if you want to. It's your choice. Yeah. Um, who would be your first pick? Yeah, my first pick, obviously, a goalie. I've always said, and then a lot of these questions have been asked, there's a goalkeeper when I played in Adelaide called Eugene Golekovic. Uh, fantastic goalkeeper. He was an Adelaide United legend. Uh, played for Australia a few caps as well. Uh, he was just a great goalkeeper. Look, I, I, I played with some good keepers in my career. I mean, like Kevin Pressman at, at Sheffield Wednesday, mm-hmm. uh, Andy Woodman at Brentford, Stuart Nelson. But Eugene, I think, had he had everything in a locker for being when I was here in Australia. A great guy as well. Uh, he could zing a ball. He's second to none sh- sh- shot stopper. Uh, commanding and uh, yeah, he was a real good goalkeeper, really good keeper. And then I would say, I'd have to say, I've always said Essien. Essien for me was just a just that bison of a player. I'd have to say, uh, Gavin Mann, uh, yeah, top player, you know, I mean, they thinking of locker, pace, uh, tenacity, touch, technical ability, header, could tackle, and is a real great leader. Uh, so he's obviously not a household name, but he was a great player to see day in, day out in training. And I'd have to say my my other strike partner, Ben Burgess, who I played with Brentford my last year. Uh, he was brilliant in regards to, I've never really had a, uh, two big men playing together. I've always been little and large. So Ben was a nice foil for me and I was for him. So uh, we scored a lot of goals. So he would be there, my five-a-side team and obviously myself. So yeah, so Eugene Golekovic in goal, Essien, Gavin Mann, Ben Burgess and myself. Nice, very good. Um... We also ask each guest to choose one game from your time at Brighton that you'd pick to be shown as extended highlights again. Just one more time on match of the day. What would stand out for you? Again, for me, it would have to be the Bristol Rovers game away because we were playing catch-up all the time because the first game got abandoned. So we always knew we, we, had a, we had a game in hand and obviously teams around us were still picking up points. So we had to travel down to Bristol. So for me, I would say that game... That game for me was the, that game for me was the one, mm-hmm. which was uh, was the game that I would love to see on match of the day again. So that that would that would be a good yeah. one. Cool. Um, okay, and a, a quick fire section now. I'm just going to throw some some questions at you. You give me your first response. So VAR or no VAR? No VAR. Yeah. Do you just completely get rid of it? Just get rid of it. It's just it's just spoiling the game. Absolutely spoiling the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, day or night match for you? Night match with a bit of, with a bit of dew, bit of nice little dew on the grass. Yeah. <laughs> Penalty shootout. Do you avoid the manager or do you put your hand straight up to take one? Hand straight up. Yeah. 
Cold weather, gloves or no gloves? Gloves. <laughs> <laughs> uh, new Wembley or old Wembley for you? I guess you'd have to say old because that's the real, the real one, the original. Mm-hmm. Um, on a team coach, would you do you put your headphones on or would you chat to your head to your teammates? Yeah, uh, a bit of both, but more teammates and a bit of cards. <laughs> we can't <laughs> yeah. break. Cool. Um, and and if you could meet one player from any era um, that you may not have met before, who would you who would you like to meet? Yeah, Pele. Yeah, yeah I, would, I would say Pele. Is he the, the true gentleman of the game and a great player? Do you see him as the greatest of all time? <sighs> no, for me, for me, it's, it's for me at the moment for what I see Messi. Yeah, for me, it's Messi. Yeah, yeah, for what what he what he does and what he's been doing, and yeah, just epic, epic. Yeah, and if you could influence one thing about the game today, so you, it could be a rule change, it could be um, a behavioural thing that you get annoyed about, what some players do, um, something that annoys you. What would you change? What annoys me, oh mate. <laughs> well, I would I would say, respect when you when 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 players are trying to brand brandish other players that get sent off. Just, just don't do that, man. Just leave, just leave that to the officials. You know when a player gets fouled and then you see players rush around the referee, branding the fake, branding the fake uh, card. That's just not sportsmanship at all. Just leave it, let it be. Let the referee and, and his officials deal with that. And finally, do you have a message for the Albion fans? Yeah, all I can say, Albion fans. Obviously, once they get back into the stand and the stadium, uh, just get back behind the the, the boys, the seagulls, because uh, like I say. Great, great bunch of fans, diehard, the proper diehard. They give their team energy and, and everything. So keep raising the roof when you get a chance, when the boys score back and you're in the stadium, make sure you raise that roof. I'd love to flick on the TV sometimes and see the Brighton fans raising that roof. <laughs> great. Look, Lloyd, it's been great hearing about your career and, and reflecting on that amazing season in, in 2009 with a great escape. It'd be really good to hear about that. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. Thank you, Richard. Pleasure, brother. Cheers. Thanks so much to Lloyd for taking the time from Australia to speak to the podcast. Great to have him on. That's it for this episode. Do check out the back catalogue. All podcasts are mostly not time specific, so do share on social media if you can. I'll be back next week. Thanks for listening.